It's great to have you here today. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 23 in our time together this morning. Um, Just so you kind of know what's going on here for the next season here. Uh, Next uh, next Sunday, we'll uh, we'll be stepping away from our Mark series. And so next week, I'll be preaching on a little town of Bethlehem. So uh, in light of Christmas coming up. And then on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock, we'll be having a Christmas Eve service here. And Tim will be leading us out with a message there, which I'm not sure what that message is, but it'll be from the Bible, no doubt, around Christmas, right? So we would encourage you to be involved in in all of those times. And then the week after, we'll come back again and continue with our Mark series. So that's kind of what we're looking at in our time together. All right, let me... uh, Let me start with a Supreme Court case. Um, Maybe probably not the one you're thinking of. So, and and, and this whole area right now is so challenging when it comes to dictates and mandates by governors and health officials and the Constitution, right? I mean, we, we, we... Everybody's got opinions on all this stuff, right? So I have to tread carefully in all these ways. I, I get that. Um, but it was interesting to me that there was a case in New York City with some Orthodox Jews and some, uh, I think, one of the Catholic dioceses there that had actually gone all the way to the Supreme Court. And, and they were basically saying that that religious rights were being infringed upon by, by their gatherings and so forth. And, and coming out of that whole case, um, the Supreme Court, I think it was Alito who actually made this statement, made, made this statement, he said, even in a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be put away or forgotten. The restrictions at issue here by effectively barring many from attending religious services strike at the very heart of the First Amendment's guarantee of religious liberty. And so what, what, what was happening in that case is they were saying, look, you have some, some concerns. We get that from, from, the, from, from the governors, all, you know, what they want to do and protect people. However, at the point at which, even if well-intended, mandates go against the core Constitution, the Constitution has to stand. Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how our system works, right? And so we, we understand that in politics. But that's also true in religion. Because similar things can happen in religion, can't they? Is it possible for human tradition, traditions, to eclipse the centrality of the clear teaching of Scripture itself? Can that happen? Is there sometimes a constitu- a, a word of God crisis, not a constitutional crisis, but a word of God crisis when you look at things that are being passed on to what we should actually be doing in the church? Does, does, does that happen? Oh, man. We've been struggling with that one for 2,000 years. So I don't claim as we look at this passage today that we're going to handle every question you have in this complicated area. But I do want to speak into it some perspective. 
Not everything. With everything, we'd be here for hours. Nobody here, nobody's willing to do that one. But there are some things that are spoken to when it comes to traditions and, and the centrality of the clear teaching of God's word. Now, let me pull back for just a minute, okay? I don't want to get too teachy here, but just for a little bit. Even when we use the word tradition, what in the world does that mean? Is there no tradition in the scripture? Yes. Are there things that the scripture gives us, rituals that we should be doing, practices that are mandatory upon the people of God? Yeah. So, so God has traditions that he puts into his word, doesn't he? Some of those traditions are meant to be temporary. Like in the Old Testament, all of those ceremonial laws you find in the Old Testament, they're meant to be temporary because ultimately they find their fulfillment in who? Jesus Christ. Do you see? Very important pictures, pointers, indicating the importance of purity and all those things. Good stuff. But Christ has come, so they are temporary. There's other traditions that will continue until Jesus comes. Jesus says, we're going to today be doing communion, the Lord's Supper. Jesus tells, Paul tells us, do this, Jesus says, until I come back. So, you know, we don't say like, you know what, the communion thing, that was really great for 2020. Eh, it's done. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, it's with us as the people of God gathering to worship. Communion, baptism. These are traditions that stay with us. Do you see? So when I use the word tradition, we have to be careful. Some are mandated by God. Some temporary, some permanent. And then there's human traditions. We kind of add on, you know? Um, and, And they're not necessarily bad either, are they? So we have a tradition here in the church. We have a service on Christmas Eve. We do it every year. I don't know. Have we ever? Maybe we've missed one. I don't know. But it's just, it's just kind of an ongoing tradition. Would it be sinful if we didn't have that? No. You know, when I was overseas, they have their services on Christmas Day. And with some of the traditions that I've been involved in, they're so strong on it that they almost say, if you don't, you're sinning. Now that's a problem, isn't it? Do you see what can happen? I can take a human tradition that's not bad. It's an expression of principles in the scripture that I feel help to do that. And that's good. But what I don't want to do is move it on par with scripture itself and canonize it and say, you got to do that too. So human traditions are not, are not necessarily bad. I, I was over when I was overseas one time for a, this was in Ukraine, and I don't know if they've changed, but th- this goes back years, 20 years ago, maybe, I don't know, been a while back. And, and whatever, for whatever reason, I got there, and the guy, and then the, the translator that I was working with said, no, 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 Doug, whatever you do when you pray, don't put your hands in your pocket. Okay? And I think it tied into something with the KJB, or KJ, uh, not the KJB, but the KBG, KBG, yeah, 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 yeah. K G K KGB, yes, okay. You know, the the secrets the secret Russian. That's why my wife's right down front here. Okay. She helps me significantly. 
Oh boy, here we go. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know what it was. So I really worked really hard at it all, all, all week. I was teaching and I, you know, whenever I prayed, you know, I folded my hands or put them behind me. I don't know what I did with them. Sure enough, the last time I prayed, I forgot. And I stuck my hands in my pocket and I prayed away and a guy beelined it over to me at the end of that service and he had First Thessalonians 5 there and pointed to it and I'm and I look I'm looking at it and saying pray without ceasing I'm thinking like yeah I, I I believe that's a good thing and somehow somehow that meant you can't put your hands in your pocket <laughs> whatever and I wasn't going to get in a fight but I thought later I didn't say it but I thought it what I should have said to him was you know in our country we close our eyes when we pray how do you know I had my hands in my pocket when I was praying? No, I, but I didn't. I didn't do it. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. I thought about it, but I didn't do it. Okay, just, just saying. Anyway, so that heart thing again, you know. But, but these are the things that happen. But, but, but I do know some traditions uh, in in the area where I used to live that uh, believe it's wrong to worship. With any instruments. Do you know that? And um, I have a hard time that when I read the Psalms. Don't you? I mean, the Psalms, there's all kinds of instruments that are being clanged and banged and everything else over there. So all of these things, you know, you, you just look and... You, and so what Jesus is dealing with in Mark chapter 7 is the human tradition thing. Okay? And actually, he's also going to deal with a temporary tradition. So he, he, that's what he's dealing with. And so I can't answer every question about everything. But, but, but what we face in our day, Jesus faced in his day. And my prayer is, as we look at what Jesus says about these issues in his day, it will help us as we talk about the issues in our day. Does that make sense? So just a quick definition of legalism, or I guess traditionalism, or ritualism, or any ism, anything you want to throw ism onto. There you go. But we'll just use the word legalism. Legalism is turning human traditions into divine mandates. Okay? Whatever that is, I, something Finkbeiner comes up with. And he's saying... Just like God has his, you need to do mine. Do you see? And that's what he's going after as we work at this passage. So let's, let's, let's work our way through. There's two basic sections in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. First one is, is verses 1 to 13. And what Jesus is going to do first is he's going to challenge the religious leaders who are the ones that are going to bring up this issue who frankly, as they think about human tradition, they think everybody should be doing their human tradition. And Jesus is going to deal with that. And here, here's, if, if you miss anything else, because you might, mind, your mind might wander. Jesus is deeply concerned with traditionalism or legalism because what it ends up doing at the end of the day it doesn't allow people to deal with the significance of a rebellious heart. And if you don't deal with who we are from the inside out, you won't ultimately be led to the gospel, 
which can change people from the inside out. Do you see? So the word heart occurs three times in this passage. Jesus is really concerned what legalism does to focusing on the heart, to dealing with the heart. So watch that as we work through the text. Setting, verse 1. Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around him when they had come up from Jerusalem. Now, I don't want you to run by that too quickly. It's not like the religious leaders were saying like, hey, hey, Jesus is in town. Man, alive, we got to go and just sit under his feet, at his feet and learn because, man, he's, he's, he's the Messiah, you know. No. When they gathered earlier in Mark's gospel, they actually looked at him and saw his miracles and they said, oh, man, what are we going to do with that? Oh, that's of the devil. I mean, I mean, they're not gathering around him because they really are interested. They're gathering around him because they want to attack him. So when they come, they're looking for things to go after. So they gather around. Verse 2, And they had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. And, and Mark, because he's not sure that his audience fully understands all this Jewish stuff, he kind of gives a description of, of what that entails in verses 3 and 4. So let me, let me just read that. I'm going to go back and just talk about some of these traditions, and, and, and then we'll move to the point. So Mark kind of steps aside in verse 3 and 4, and he says this. Look, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And, and when they come from the marketplace... They do not eat unless they cleanse themselves, literally, unless they immerse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Okay, so so you see, Mark kind of steps aside and says, let me just talk to you about Jewish practices for a second. He comes back in verse 5 and continues with what the Pharisees see as the problem. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but they eat their bread with impure hands? I want you to think for just a moment. You are a Jew living in the first century. And you're by, you're, 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 the, the Old Testament, you wouldn't call it that, your scriptures, the Old Testament, is very important to you. It was to the Pharisees too. And so one of the things they read, they read back in, in, in Exodus that it was important that before a priest would go in and do a sacrifice before God, that they would ceremonially wash their hands. Oh, incidentally, this idea of washing hands has nothing to do with hygienic stuff, okay? So don't be thinking like, hey, Finkbeiner's against washing hands. Aren't they telling us to wash your hands? He's saying, don't wash your hands. No, no. Uh, hi, we're not dealing hygienic here. We're dealing ceremonial, okay? Just, just so we're clear on that. But anyway, they would ceremonially wash their hands, which would say, I'm pure as I'm doing the sacrifice. Do you see? Well, some people thought, well, that's a cool practice. Um, why don't we have everybody do it every time they eat? 
And so a human tradition is added. Now, is it, is it pagan to do something like that? No, not necessarily. But what happened with that human tradition? It moved up and it was on par with all of God's commands. And you know what? If you're going to eat and you haven't washed your hands, there's a major problem with you. Do you see? You see how that can happen? So they took something. They said, well, let's extend that. Probably meaning well, because it'll make us all think about purity every time we eat. Okay, okay. Like, okay, okay. Kind of makes sense. And they put it on par with scripture. And that became the problem. And the other thing you find from this text, it's not like they just done it with, did it with that item. People who are driven by legalism always have a list. And it's always more than one thing. And so they, 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 they add to that the whole idea of, okay, if I've been in the marketplace, I probably have rubbed shoulders with some pagan sinful people. Dirty people, maybe some sick people, maybe some Gentiles, maybe blah, blah, whatever. So when I come out of the marketplace, I'm going to literally wash myself and immerse myself before I eat to show my purity before God. And we know of that practice happening in other Jewish literature, both before the New Testament and after. There's, there's a later um, um, Jewish codification called the Mishnah that is developed. 200 AD leads in the Talmud and all that kind of good stuff. But, but it has a whole tractate just on all these purity laws. I mean, it's just, it's just all over the place. So you're in a world where people are saying, okay, we have this thing in scripture, but we're going to add to it this and put it on par with scripture and this over here and this over here and let's watch, wash pots and let's wash all this stuff. And look, you ought to wash all your stuff and put it in the dishwasher when you're done eating, okay? That's not the point here. They were washing it as a ceremonial thing. Does that make sense? And so they were elevating human tradition to the level of divine tradition and divine commands. And so when they come to Jesus and they say, we saw your disciples over there and they didn't wash their hands before they ate, who were they really attacking? The disciples or the master of the disciples? Do you see? It's an indirect way to say, you ain't no Messiah. Something like that. If you're going to spar, you ought to know who your opponent is. And if you're going to spar with Jesus, that's always a bad thing. So they think they got him. And Jesus is going to turn that whole thing around and use it to expose their heart. Whatever the well-meaning purpose was of those earlier traditions developing and all that, in this day... It was a way to get around the rebellion and the stuff that was going in my heart because I can do that so I don't have to deal with this. Do you see? So look at what Jesus says. Wow. I mean, you're talking about going for the juggler. How to win friends and influence people. Hmm. Now he speaks as a prophet here. Look at what he says in verse six. He said to them, 
Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. Wow. Um, I'm going to quote to you from a passage in Isaiah 21. And it's you, you hypocrites. Whoa, all they were asking is, how come your disciples didn't wash their hands? No, they were doing a whole lot more than that. Okay, right, yeah, right. right. So Jesus goes for the juggler. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Jesus says, you have taken human tradition and you have put it on par with scripture and in putting it in par with scripture, you have pushed down and you have denied the centrality of what God really wants to emphasize and talk about. Is it possible to come into the chapel on a Sunday morning to be led in worship by our worship team and for our hearts to be as far from God as possibly imaginable? Is that possible? Yes. Isaiah saw it in his day. Jesus saw it in his day. It is true in our day. It is possible for me to smile when I see how's it going? Good, how about you doing fine? Thank you. And as I'm doing all those things in my heart, I am as far away from God as imaginable. I can play the game and layering human tradition onto God's truth allows me to do it more effectively. Because I can say, at least I got that one down. Because that's an easy one. And I can not have to deal with my heart. Do you, do you see? That's what happens. Jesus wasn't done with them. <laughs> In verse 9, uh, down through 13 then, he's going to give a specific illustration from their own experience. So he gives the broad stroke, you know, from Isaiah. Hypocrites come up with their own traditions to compete with God's. So that ultimately they can hide what's really going on in their heart. And they can say, yeah, but at least I do this. Jesus said, let me give you an illustration. He says in verse 9. He was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your own tradition. And that's the problem, isn't it? When, When you begin to put something on par with, and then it replaces this. Here's his example. Verse 10, he quotes from Moses. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. So he he quotes from from the Exodus, two Exodus accounts again. And, And what he says is, look, there is this general principle in the scripture that you can't get around. Honor your parents. Whatever age, honor your parents. Now, I know sometimes that gets really challenging for a whole host of reasons. Like, we all get that, right? I, like, like I'm, not, I'm not denying that. 
But here is this principle, and I want you to notice how a human tradition, which sounds pretty good, has slipped in that's not only on par with, but it actually usurps the authority of that truth. Apparently, they had a custom in their day, and you can read about it also, some of the other, some of the later um, Jewish material, the, the, the Mishnah again. Apparently, they had, they had this custom. Let me try to illustrate it. Um, okay, here I am. So, I, let, let's, my parents are with the Lord, but suppose my parents were both living right now. And I told you, you know, I've got property and I've got possessions that I could use for, the, for their help and for their care. <sighs> but I kind of want to use it for myself. Is there any way around this? Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Because if, if you look at something and you call it Corbin, did I, I, did I read this passage? Did I read the Corbin text yet? No, let me read it. Okay, let me read it. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, verse 11, but you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, anything of mine you might have been helped with is Corbin. That is a gift given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. It's always more than one. This is what they did. So I say, man, I don't really want to have to sacrifice for my parents. Well, then why don't you take those possessions and those things and call them Corbin? Which, which either means offering or vow. It's, it's just a transliteration from the Hebrew. Okay, there it is. Why don't you just call that Corbin? Um, and then what happens is when your mom and dad say, boy, you know, we could really use some help. Sorry, all that stuff has been dedicated to the temple and it's going to go to the temple at my death. But for now, I can use it. Do you see? So I can take that human tradition about dedicating things to the temple. I can manipulate that, use that for my own heart, which is far from God. I can use it and say, oh no, 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 no. I'm into the Corbin thing. So I don't have to help my parents. Isn't that what can happen? A heart that is far from God will set up or use current standards and manipulate them in such a way that it doesn't have to deal with the hard stuff in the scripture that the scripture is clear on. I can just push it down. Brothers and sisters, we can do the same kind of thing. We we, we can come up with self-justification for not living out what is clearly central to God's word in the gospel. My um, wife and I um, were down in, uh, in Harrisburg uh, yesterday. Um, Sherry had asked for me to, anyway, she asked, let's do this. So we went down, we did, there was a prayer march going on. So I'm, I'm always kind of into prayer. So I thought that, that, that that's a fine thing. Um, so we went down and, and we were there at the Capitol and so forth. And, um, and this is just an aside. It's nothing to do with the message. But you might be interested to hear. For whatever reason, there were some people that didn't even want Christians praying for whatever. So you always have people standing with their signs saying different things. And 
I pulled my car up to pick up Sherry. I got the car and pulled it up, and I was hoping she'd come out this way. But, you know, Sherry's she's not going to jaywalk. You know, she's, she's going to do it by the book, you know, and she's going to crossroad. But at the crossroad is where these people were, you know. And I thought, oh, brother. So I thought I better pull up. And, and so sure enough, Sherry walks by them, and, and basically they call her a treasonous fascist. I mean, Sherry, a fascist? I mean, really, would anybody say that about my wife? You know, she's into treason? Sherry? I mean, anyway. But, and my lovely wife looked back and said, Jesus loves everybody. And you can find salvation through Jesus Christ. That's good. I mean, that's a, that, was, that, was, that, was the right, that was the right response, you know. And I picked her up and we took off. Okay, okay. <laughs> However, that was just an aside that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But I thought I'd tell you. So we're, we're doing this prayer, prayer, prayer walk thing. And, um, and of course, it's, it's, it's multi-faith. So there's Jews and Catholics and Protestants and, and all that. Which, um, all right, it, I always get nervous with that stuff, to be honest with you, because I don't want to ever lose the centrality of the gospel, okay? That's it's always really important to me. So it makes, makes me a little bit nervous. So we went up for part of it, but not for all of it, but whatever, okay? Anyway, we're walking around, um, and, 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 and I hear behind me um, some sweet people quoting the rosary. And... And I couldn't help but think about it as they were quoting it. So I, you know, I, I went back and looked it up and wrote it down. Part of what this says as is being addressed to Mary is, um, blessed are thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Would you say that's true? That is absolutely true. That is Luke 1, words right from Elizabeth herself. You are blessed of all women because... The Messiah is coming through you. Yeah, like I, like, I get that. I'm, that part, I'm going like, yeah, I'm all over that. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. I get the, you're blessed among women. But there's one interceder between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. And Mary is not the person I pray to. And what has happened is something that is good, blessed are you, gets attached to it, something which was never meant to be in the scripture. And all of that gets put on the par with scripture itself. And then the idea that it's only found in Christ is lost. And I believe those people that were quoting that behind me were as sincere as the day is long. I'm not questioning their motives at all. But I think that they've been victimized into a way of thinking that goes counter to the scriptures. Do do you see? I mean, it it happens with all kinds of things. Uh, So much more. I have some other illustrations, but I I will hold back. Why 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 don't we move on? Oh, I'll give you one more. <laughs> this is kind of on the other end. So there is a um, United Church of Christ and whatever, whatever, that I always drive by on my way to work. And they always got these different signs up on their marquee. And so um, 
and I have a son who is um, really into apologetics, and so he saw that too and set up an appointment and went and actually met with the woman minister just to talk about what they believe. And he knew he was getting into a fight, but he just, he enjoys that kind of thing, but whatever. He gets it from his mother, I'm just telling you. Okay, whatever. Yeah, that, that, the fascist. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. But I went on their website, and this is what it says. At one level, it sounds very nice. But at another level, it has actually subverted the centrality of the gospel. It says this. Um, As an open and affirming congregation, Grace UCC welcomes gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and transgender persons into the full life and ministry of the church. Now, folks, let me tell you something first, just so you know if you're in the chapel. You say, I struggle with those things when I'm here. We want you here. Guess what? We're all sinners. We're all lost in the need of Jesus Christ. And everybody struggles with sin. It's, it's part of our life. It's why we're here, so you can hear the gospel and be changed. That's why we do this. Okay? So, so we too want everybody to come in. I don't care what your sin is. Come. However, that's not what they're saying. They're saying, come as you are and remain as you are and we will celebrate who you are. The scripture will not do the the second and third. Come as you are, but you will not be able to stay as you are because Christ will change you. And we cannot celebrate sin ever. What we celebrate is a God who forgives sinners and begins to change them. That's what we're into. So you see what happens again? Under the guise of love, this, their own tradition develops, which comes on par with scripture itself, and you begin saying, yeah, but you're not loving people. If you're not telling them the truth of, of what personhood means, you're not loving them. You can't love without truth. And so it doesn't mean we don't love them. It means we love them in, the, in a true way as God's intended. Does that make sense? So this human tradition stuff can slip in in all kinds of ways where stuff competes with and subverts the authority of God's word. And I'm not saying we do it perfect here at the chapel. I'm sure you can find inconsistencies here. We, 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 try, to, we try to be right on this one, but it's not always easy. Jesus now turns and talks to the crowd at large. And notice what he says in verses 14 to 23. Because Jesus realizes something. Jesus realizes how easy it is for people to both use tradition to cover up the hypocrisy of their hearts and how easy it is for people to so focus on human tradition that they ignore what is really going on in my heart. Does that make sense? So look at what he says to the crowd at large when he looks at this. Verse 14, after he called the multitude to him, 
again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. And he gives this cryptic statement in verse 15. All right, here it is. There is nothing outside the man which going into him can defile him. The things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And I think for most of the people in the crowd, you know what happened with that one? Right, I mean, boom, right over their head. Like, whatever. Whatever defiles you does not come in, but comes out like, whatever. But his true followers were interested in what that really means. So like we found earlier with the parables, they follow up with a question. Verse 17. And when leaving the multitude, he had entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. He said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? In other words, guys, I've been with you for quite a while. Are you not picking up on some of these spiritual foci that I'm making? Yeah. Do you not understand? And listen to what he says. Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart. Do you see the heart focused through this passage? It doesn't go into his heart. Rather, goes into his stomach. And my text here says is eliminated. literally says, and into the latrine. Okay, it's a little kind of more graphic. And they're just trying to be a little bit more careful how they say it. Okay. Um, but yeah, it just kind of like goes through the whole system, you know. And then Mark says this. Thus he declares all foods to be clean. Remember I told you at the beginning... There's some traditions that we have from God. Some of those traditions are temporary. Some of those are permanent. Jesus talking to the crowd and washing hands, which was an add-on and so forth. Jesus pulls back for a minute. And now he actually talks about a tradition from God that was always meant to be temporary. And he says, let me talk about the whole thing of eating food which is either clean or unclean. He says, you know what? All of those pictures from the Old Testament have been fulfilled in me. So that actually gets set aside only because it has been fulfilled. In fulfilling it, he sets it aside. It's the same thing that Peter had to find in Acts 10. Remember in Acts 10 when he has that dream before Cornelius' guys are coming to meet with him and he has that dream and there's this, there's this sheet that drops down and all these unclean animals on it. You know, he's a good Jew. You don't, you don't eat that stuff. You know, you can't eat. The, stay away from the pork, man. You know, all that, all that stuff. And God says, in this age of fulfillment... All of that is gone. No longer can you say, eat that food, but not that food, because all of those pictures have come to find fruition in Jesus Christ. And now, the last thing we want to do is to take a practice and allow that to separate Jew and Gentile when the church is all about embracing every ethnic group and loving all people. And so Jesus talks about that and he says, guys, I want you to think about that. You're still living under that whole practice of 
kosher food and unkosher food and what you can't eat and what you can't eat and all, all that kind of stuff. I want you to know something. That's all passing away. It was temporary pointing to me. But there's something that's permanent that never ends. When you think of defilement, even when you were washing your hands, even when you were looking at kosher food and unkosher food, it was all ultimately to point to a heart that was undefiled or defiled. Do you see? And you've gotten caught up so much in the symbol that you've forgotten that to which it points. And so look at what he says here. Verse 20, he was saying to them, he's explaining that cryptic statement. It's not what comes in, it's what comes out. So here's the what comes out. He was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, Thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of covening and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus says, you know, you can get caught up on all kinds of stuff out here. Hey, I go to church on Sundays. That's a great tradition. Don't stop it, okay? I'm like, I'm all for it. Hey, I, I pray. Good. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm all over that one too. Hey, I do this. I do that. And we, we can layer all kinds of things in such a way that we can feel good about them rather than thinking the gospel at its very core is about coming into the very core of who I am And before you can ever have the good news, the gospel wants you to know the bad news. The bad news is if you open up Doug Finkbeiner's heart, all you will find flowing out of it are bad things. Apart from the gospel of Christ and his grace and his common grace and all those things. But if you open me up, you will find both in what I say and what I do and in what I think things that I don't, I don't want anybody to know about. And if I get satisfied with this, I don't have to worry about that. Matter of fact, I can tell you I'm a pretty good guy. I go to church on Sundays. And I'm glad you come to church on Sundays. Please keep coming. But the gospel is much deeper than that. The gospel is going into the very core of who we are and opening up my heart so that people can see, well, so God sees, so that I can see. God, I'm a rebel. My, my, my theme song is the same one that Frank, it's the Frank Sinatra saying, I'll have it my way. I mean, like that's, like, that's my theme song right there, man. I love that. God says that's the problem. And the gospel is all about both exposing who I am, forgiving me completely, even though I struggle with those things, giving me his spirit so that I can begin to be transformed even in those areas. 
which takes a lifetime. But salvation means turning, opening up to God. I'm a sinner. All that stuff is me. Look, folks, you can't read that list and not find your name on some of, the, some of those items. It's, you're, you're there. I need you. God in his grace, because his son has come to die for me, resurrected for me, and one fell swoop, I fall on my knees, and he says, you don't have to fall to your knees either. That would be another practice, but whatever. But, but I, I turn to him and I say, God, I want Christ to forgive me. And in one fell swoop, I am swept into the kingdom of God. Child of God, forgiven, secure, safe, eternally secure. Heaven's my home, new heaven and new earth. All that's, it's all mine. That quick, that quick. And then the fight begins. And from here until the day I die, I'm fighting with me. But I'm not fighting alone. Because the Spirit of God has come within. And He started that work of transformation that only He can do. And I'm finding myself loving in a way that I could never have pulled off on my own. And it's not to impress you. It starts here and comes out. You know, it's a difference between a Christmas tree where you just kind of pluck, put balls on a dead tree and a fruit tree that produces fruit from the inside out. That's what the gospel does. Religion is all about putting bulbs on a dead tree. Christ, the gospel, is about changing us from the inside out. The biggest problem, or I should, yeah, I would say, the biggest problem with legalism is it ultimately ends up diminishing or denying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whatever it is, it could be, it could be good things. Reject legalism because it neglects the reality of the heart by replacing the centrality of God's word. We might say the gospel there. The gospel of Christ not only exposes our sinful hearts, but it transforms us from the inside out. Isn't that what you want at the end of the day? Who likes to live as a hypocrite? Ah, There may be some, but I don't think too many. There's something about being able to put your head on your pillow at night and saying, it's okay. I know Christ. I'm not perfect. (laughs) Man, I am not home yet. Oh man, oh man, oh man. But I'm on a journey with him. That changes everything, folks. And that's what God wants to do. So whatever your issue is, that that, that human tradition, which kind of gives you clout, Whatever. Don't allow it to to come on par with or to usurp the word. Because if you usurp the word, you diminish the gospel. And God help us if we do that. Father, we are so in need of your grace and your strength and and your wisdom. We... uh, We all are given over to layering your word with our word. And they're not bad things sometimes, Lord. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they aren't. 
It's just that we want them too much. And it causes us to forget what is most important. Which is you, your gospel, which changes us from the inside out. Lord, put your finger on those things in our lives that we have allowed to cloud out what is most important. For legalism is not something that resides merely in the hearts of Pharisees. It is endemic to humanity. Guard us, Lord. Deliver us. So that we can live in freedom. And we can share your truth and the gospel in freedom. Christ name I pray. Amen.